Okay, I love, one of my favorite authors is Shel Silverstein. Do you guys know Shel Silverstein? Are you guys still familiar? I don't know. He put his face on the back of every book. So his, his image is like etched into our brains. If you read Shel Silverstein, if you don't know Shel Silverstein, he's an author, he's an illustrator. In particular, I love his books of poetry. So he has these now four volumes of just lots of poems. He's really fun. I got hooked on him in third grade. I don't know. I found his, it used to be just three books. Um, I found his first three poetry books in third grade, and I just read through them, and I, I just love them. And in my family, Shel Silverstein, it, he, it's almost like his books are like a sacred text in my family because of how much I love these books. And often what happens is I start reading these books to my kids when they're way too little to even understand the books yet because I'm just so excited to read these Shel Silverstein books to my kids. And so at first, they're kind of like, I don't get it. So then I have to hold off for another year or two or something. And then I come back around and I start reading it. And now my kids are in a better place of understanding it. And now Shel Silverstein for them becomes sacred too. It's really interesting. It's fun to watch my kids interact with Shel Silverstein because his books are just a lot of fun. They just really, I, I think he probably did a good job of like knowing what it's like to be a kid and knowing what kinds of things are fun for kids because uh, his books to me feel really timeless in a lot of ways. And so it's fun because as we read through these books together for my kids, I see them learning things about the world. Because if, if you're not familiar with his poems, sometimes his poems have lessons, sometimes his poems are stories. A lot of them are just fun rhymes and puns. But all of those things help my kids to like learn about the world. It's really funny too when they see a particularly funny picture, a lot of times that picture will teach them something about life or about a pun or a funny way of saying something. And later in the week, they'll bring up that illustration, that picture that they saw in the book. And so for, for our house, Shel Silverstein, he, he's... He's kind of, you know, it's, you know, he's a bit sacred for us. We, we love Shel, Shel Silverstein. And, and as I've watched how Shel Silverstein has used pictures and images and rhymes and puns and clever ways of saying things to teach my kids things, I, I've gotten to this Revelation series and we're here at the end of this Revelation series. And what I hope is that the words of Revelation have done the same thing to our church that Shel Silverstein's words have done to my kids. Because as you guys know, Revelation is full of these images and pictures and clever ways of, of saying things and explaining things and teaching things about God and how he's ruling history and what he's doing. And so I hope that the same way that Shel Silverstein affects me and my kids, I hope much more so that the book of Revelation has affected you in those same kind of, kinds of ways. I hope that there's images from the book of Revelation that stick with you and that you remember for a, for a long time. Richard Bauckham, who's probably my, my favorite Revelation scholar, what he says about the book of Revelation is he says, when you finally read Revelation and see it for what it is, as we've tried to do in this series, you'll see that it is one of the finest literary works in all of the New Testament. And then he goes on and he says, it, not only is it one of the finest literary works in the New Testament, it's one of the greatest theological achievements of early Christianity. And because we're at the end of the series, we're in chapter two, chapter 22 today, I, I hope we have gotten a glimpse of that, to see this 
fine literature that God used, that God spoke to John, that John wrote down. Like, I hope that that has done something to us, that has spoken something to us, communicated things to us, okay? And so, so we're here. We're at the end of the series. We're, we're finally at chapter 22 of the book of Revelation. I've already, I know for some of you, you go, finally, this series has felt fast and quick, and I will say that is not true for the preacher, okay? <laughs> this is felt like a marathon, okay? This has been one of the hardest series for me to preach. It's probably the series I've read the most books for, all this kind of stuff, and, and rightfully so. Uh, so we're, we're at the end of the book of Revelation, so if you're new, uh, you, you have a lot of catching up to do, okay? So like this, you, you won't be confused today, but, uh, but you might wonder some things, and so I'll just say you'd have to be with us the last 14 weeks as well. But here's what happens in Revelation 20, 22. John, he does another kind of clever thing. He does another clever thing, a clever literary thing. He takes this word come, like come here, the word we use to like beckon someone to move their location to our location. This is like my bad parenting all the time when the kids are telling on the other, I say whatever kid's in trouble, come here. And of course they don't. Uh, but so anyways, that's just confessions. Uh, so anyways, John takes this word come, and he, in chapter 22, he uses it in three different ways. And all three different ways are different sorts of uses of that word. And all three different ways show us three different things about what it means to live life as a Christian. It's really clever. I, th I think that John was being intentional using this Greek word, erkomai, is, is the word in the Greek, in three different ways to get you to pay attention to this word that he's using, but then he's using it, using it in these three different ways to get us to pay attention to the different sorts of ways we're called to live as Christians. So here's what we're going to do today. We're going to look at each of those three different ways, and we'll spend time on each of those three different ways. So on the front end, here are the three different ways that John uses this word come. He tells us that Jesus is coming soon. Secondly, He's, he tells us that we, the church and the spirit, invite people to come drink from the river of life. And then at the very end of the chapter, John himself prays, Jesus, come back. Okay, so those are the three different ways. And each of those ways show, show us different things about li living as Christians. So that's, that's where we're going to be today. I'm going to take a quick drink. We're going to hop right into the, to that first section to see how he uses uh, this phrase, the first way in chapter 22. So you could turn there. Chapter 22, verse 1 is where we'll start. All right, 22, verse 1. We'll go all the way through verse 7. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. And he said to me, these words are trustworthy and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophet, prophets, has sent his angel to show his servants what must soon take place. And behold, 
I am coming soon, Jesus says. Blessed is the one who keeps the words of the prophecy of this book. Okay, let's stop there for a minute. So you, sh- you should go back, listen to, to last week's sermon because it h- helps set up the scene of what we're looking at. But we'll, it, it, really quickly, last week we saw God brings a city, a new Jerusalem out of heaven. It's perfect and God will live with his people forevermore in this city. And Revelation 22 goes on to describe the things going on in that city. And so we get this opening scene where there is this river of life. This beautiful river of life. One of the, just imagine those beautiful body of water you can imagine. There's this beautiful river of life, and it is flowing from the throne of God and, and the Lamb. Remember in Revelation, God and the Lamb share the throne together. And so there's this river flowing from the, the throne of God. And on either side of the river is the tree of life. So here's what's happening. John is taking imagery from the Old Testament, and he is showing us uh, that same imagery in different kinds of ways here at the end of the book. So in, in the creation story, we have these mentions of these rivers that God created for people to drink from. In Ezekiel 47, it actually talks about God's restoration happening in this way where from the temple, this river will flow. And we see here in Revelation 22, that river is flowing from the throne of God. Remember, these are symbols, right? These are symbols that God is using to communicate true things. And then as the imagery goes on, we see more imagery from the creation story. We see uh, not just one tree of life, but we see two trees of life. There's a tree of life on each side of the river. If you remember the Genesis creation story, one of the things that God created was this tree of life, and he put it in the garden. And in this new creation, there's not just one tree of life, there's two trees of life. And every month, their fruit is ripening. Just, just bountiful fruit. Every month it's giving off fruit. And its leaves are said to heal the nations. All of that imagery here that we just read is communicating to us that at the end of time, creation will be regained, as one scholar puts it, Al Walters. Part of God's plan is to restore creation to its original intent. And so this picture, honestly, it's paradise regained. Paradise that was lost is now regained. That's how Revelation ends. And and we will get to live with God in that paradise. That's kind of how this opens. But verse 7 is what I really want us to look at and focus on. Is Jesus says to John, he says, I'm coming soon. I'm coming soon. Listen to the words of this prophecy. Now, if you've ever read the New Testament at all, you'll, you'll know, like any of us know, that the, the New Testament authors, they often, they talk about the return of Jesus as happening soon. And then if you're anything like me, you're like, uh, it's been 2,000 years, right? You're kind of like, it's been, a, that, it's been a while, guys. Like, what is going on? And because of that, lots of scholars actually have lots of debates about what did the New Testament authors mean when they said soon? A lot of them also like to go, what did they think soon meant? How, how, how are they using this word soon? And so you're going to see a lot throughout the New Testament, this use of this word soon. And right here in Revelation 22, Jesus also says, I'm coming soon. And me, love you, Jesus, but I'm like, it's, it's felt a little long. It's felt a bit long. 
And so I, I don't think I'm going to be able to solve the, the debate around that use of that word for us this morning completely. But here, here's what I'll say. I'm going to tell you what I think Jesus is communicating, and then I'll kind of say why this word soon is being used, okay? Here's what Jesus is communicating when he says, I am coming soon. He wants it to motivate us. When, he, when we hear him say that, he wants that to motivate us to live every day as if today could be the day that Jesus returns. That's why he's saying that. That's what he wants that to elicit in us. So here, here's to help us with the soon stuff. You're like, ah, I, don't, I have a hard time with that. Maybe this will help. Here's what we know from other scriptures. There's, I think in the Psalms it says things like this, but 2 Peter 3.8 is a great example. It talks about how time is different for God. Like a thousand years to God is not like a thousand years for us. A day for God is not. Like it's, it's not exactly the same for God. And so when, even when God himself is saying here in Revelation 22, I'm coming soon, we can know that time for God is different. Not that he understands it different or like whatever, but that he communicates about time differently than how we communicate about time. The other thing we know about this is we know, we've talked about this in this series, we've talked about this a lot through, through the last few years in general too probably, but the end times and when the Bible talks about the end times or this time when God will come back and return. He, I don't think God is talking about the last few years of history. I think God is talking about all of time since the resurrection. We, I, I can show you the verses later if you don't believe me, but there are all these verses that help us to see that for God, the end times is not this little itty bitty tiny few years at the very end of history, but the end times for God have been happening since the, since the resurrection. Because God is in this last section of history where his last work of saving all that would repent is happening. Like we are, we are in the end game, right? Like we're, we're in, God is working throughout history. It's so, so far, the end times have lasted 2,000 years. Who knows how much longer they'll last? Could be another 2,000 years. It could be 10,000 years. We don't know. So, so when Jesus says, I'm coming soon, I think it has rings of this, like, Jesus going like, hey, I, I, as God, am doing my last bit of work in history. I'm doing my last little bit of work in history, drawing all that would repent to myself to find life as many as possible before I return. Second Peter 3 also alludes to that. So, so maybe that helps with the soon language as you, as you read it in the New Testament. But that's not the point. None of that's the point of the soon language. The point of the soon language is Jesus is telling us he's coming soon so we will live as if he's coming soon. Jesus says to us, I'm coming soon so we will live as Christians as if he is coming soon. This afternoon, go read Matthew 24 and 25. And you're going to see all these teachings of Jesus all, kind of, all together where Jesus uses this arriving soon and really arriving unexpectedly language to communicate that we as followers of Jesus, followers of Yahweh even, need to live lives as if God could return at any moment, that God could show up at any moment. This language is to motivate us. What's interesting is Matthew 24 and 25, as, as Jesus is kind of teaching through this general idea of being ready for the return of God, 
the arrival of God, he does kind of flesh it out for us because you might go, okay, what does that mean? What do I do to kind of be ready? Do I gotta make a bunker? Like, like you go, what, what am I going to do here? The answer is no, not a bunker. He tells this story of these people managing these talents, which was a word for a, a currency back then, money, and managing it well. And so basically what he's saying is, hey, I've given you a life, I've given you resources, I've given you gifts, I've given you even talents as a person, you could say. And you need to steward those in a way where God's kingdom is bountiful and fruitful through those things. And then in Matthew 25, he, he says, he puts it even more specific. He says, you have to care for the thirsty. So if someone's thirsty, give them a drink. You have to care for the stranger. You have to care for the sick. You have to care for the imprisoned, the vulnerable and the poor of Jesus' day. So when Jesus is saying, I'm coming soon, and he's saying, get, so, and we say, okay, that means that I need to be ready for him to arrive at any moment. That means don't make a bunker. It means live like a Christian every day. Steward your life well. Care for the vulnerable and the poor well. And Jesus even flat out says, when you care for the vulnerable and the poor well, it's like you're caring for me. I think sometimes Christians who are obsessed with the book of Revelation and end times and all this stuff, they take messages like this that Jesus says, I'm coming soon, and they, they say to themselves, okay, I got to be looking for all the signs, and I got to be reading the newspaper, and I got to go on the internet and watch YouTube videos from other crazy people, and I got to, I'm sorry, I got to listen, I got to watch for these signs of, of God's return. Like, that's what it means. That's when Jesus says, I'm coming soon. That's what I got to be ready for. No. Go to Matthew 24 and 25. You'll realize Jesus, when he says that, he wants it to motivate us into living like Christians all the time and not lazily awaiting God to return. Like, oh, he's going to return anyway. So it's, it's all going to be fine. It's to motivate us for action. When I was a kid, my dad, when he got a cell phone, that happened in my lifetime, by the way, he got a cell phone what he began to usually do is he would call us on the way home from work. And I knew at that moment, it was time for me and my siblings to finally do all of the things we'd been putting off, okay? He had said, clean the dish, whatever. Whatever the things were, I'd be like, siblings, unite, right? I was like, we got to do this, right? We got to do all this stuff before it gets home. And usually we didn't do it, so I usually just like hid or something, you know, like that. I, that's... My dad saying, hey, I'm coming home soon would motivate me to action. Now I'm married. I'm the dad of the house now. But when my wife calls me, I know it is time to turn off the TV, okay? And say, kids, we got to act like we weren't watching this, okay? Like we got just like, let's exercise this. Like, I don't know. I don't know what fun things. Uh, like reading. We were reading together, right? Like, wow. Jude learned a new word. And so, from the show. So... Sometimes when people say, I'm coming soon, it actually motivates you to action. That's how Jesus' words are being used here. His words of saying, I'm coming soon, should motivate us into action, into consistent Christian living. Right, when Jesus taught us to pray, part of the prayer was, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So when Jesus says, prepare as if I'm coming home soon, what we have to realize is that part of the prayer in part, is answered by how we live our lives. 
knowing any moment Jesus could return. There's work for us to do that he's called us to. So the, this message in Revelation 22 of Jesus coming home soon, it shouldn't make us lazily wait for Jesus to return or speculate and look for all these signs. It should actually make us joyfully serve God until he returns or until he takes us home. Okay? That's what should happen to us when we hear that he's coming home soon. Okay? All right, let's look at this next way that, the, that John uses this word come. Let's look at this next way. Uh, we'll, we'll read verses 12 through 17 here. Verse 12 says this. Behold, I'm coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I'm the alpha and the omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes so that they may have the right to the tree of life and that they may enter the city by the gates. Outside are the dogs and sorcerers and sexually immoral and murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. And verse 17 is what I really want you to see. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. And let the one who desires take the water of life without price. I love verse 17. I'm going to take another drink. Fittingly. Um, and that wasn't planned. Um, some of the stuff I just read might be a little bit confusing. I would encourage you to go back and listen to some of the last few weeks of the, of the sermons because I'm not going to touch maybe on some of the things that you might have questions about from what I just read because I really want to focus in on verse 17. Notice now this word come, it's used as an invitation. An invitation to any and all that would hear it to come and drink water from God himself. I love this message throughout the Bible. This idea that God himself has true life-giving water. God himself has this water he can give that will satisfy our soul's thirst. One of my favorite stories in the Bible of Jesus' life is he, I think it's John chapter 7, he stands up in the middle of this festival, this feast of booths. He might have even been in the temple, but he might not have been. But he stands up in the middle of this festival that all of the people of God were at, or, you know, a, great, a lot of them were, at least. And he says, in the middle of this big festival, if anyone thirsts, come to me and drink. And here in Revelation 22, we see that same invitation being made. Come to God and get drink. Come drink from the river of life. And in verse 17, look who is making that invitation. It says, the spirit and the bride. Now church, from being in Revelation, who's the bride? It's us, right? It's us. It's the church. It's those that have put their faith in Jesus. The body of people that put their faith in Jesus. The ones that have realized that they need to wash their robes in his blood. And that it's actually a blessing to be able to get to do that. That group of people is the bride of Christ. 
So, how this word come is used as an invitation teaches us more about the Christian life. It teaches us that we and the Spirit in us, simultaneously, at the same time, we are the ones calling out to the world, come to Jesus and find the water you've always been looking for. We are the ones giving the invitations. It's up to us. Again, it's the Spirit in us and through us and with us. But we are the ones making this invitation. We are the ones letting the world know at one point in time, there was this guy, Jesus. His name was really Yeshua in his language. And he stood up in the middle of this festival and he said, if you're thirsty, come to me. Jesus wasn't saying that because he was handing out drinks, although maybe he was for illustration purpose. I don't know. He was saying that because he knew what we all know. Every human is thirsty. And nothing satisfies our thirst. There is a thirsty part in each one of us. And Jesus said, I don't want you to be thirsty. Jesus even speaking to the reality that even physically we get thirsty. Like he wants to take care of both. He wants to make it so we don't get dehydrated literally anymore. And he wants to make it so we don't spiritually get dehydrated anymore emotionally dehydrated, fit in whatever dehydrated. He knows humanity is thirsty, and he says, come to me. I've got the water you're looking for. I think sometimes we kind of sell the message of Jesus like so short, right? Like we, he, he makes a lot of beautiful, big claims and promises. And a lot of times we don't focus on those things. But at one point in history, Jesus got up and said, I know your soul's thirsty. I know that you feel thirsty. Come to me and you won't thirst anymore. Jesus is the key to your parched soul. I think, I think most people can re- relate to that. Christian or not, I think most people go, yeah, I can't quite be satisfied. I'm thirsty. What do I do about that thirst? Come to Jesus. Because he has water that's free for all. Anyone can walk up and get it. Anyone that hears the invitation from the spirit and the bride can drink this water. Church, I really think this. The world will not know that Jesus has water from the river of life to give them unless you and the spirit tell them. That's, I think, what Revelation is teaching us. We can't simply... We can't simply be good people and hope people find the river of life. I hesitate in saying that because uh, I think Christians, we all need a good dose of being Christ-like all the time. (laughs) Like we need to hear that message all the time. But but our our good people-ness is not going to help people find the river of life. We need to give people the map and the map is Jesus. The map is Jesus himself. God did not give us a literal map to the river of life. He gave us a person. Our, our culture, when it comes to this idea of like being thirsty, I, I feel like our culture, in some good ways, says, hey, what you really got to do, you got to dig into yourself. 
You got to find something inside yourself, and that's how you can truly quench your thirst. And actually, there's some good like resiliency and different things sometimes in some of those messages. So I don't want to just throw all of that out. But where that message for me personally lacks when I hear that kind of message of that's how I need to quench my thirst, I go, I'm trying that, and I'm still thirsty. I'm digging deep. I'm being strong. I'm doing all the things you're telling me to do. I'm thinking different thoughts. I'm, all, I'm whatever it is, and it's not working because I'm still thirsty. And maybe those people would say you have to try harder. Maybe they're right, but I think they're wrong. I don't think there's any level of me trying hard enough to quench my thirst. I think I can't quench my thirst without Jesus. Jesus is the only one honest enough with me to go, you, yeah, you can't do it. But he's also the only one loving enough to go, I have free water here that will do it. Come, drink, drink. I want to give this to you. And so I'm going to keep going back to Jesus <laughs> because my self-made wells, they don't work. And that's essentially the invitation we have to give to the world. We have to say, Listen, these self-made wells are not working. We're thirsty. You're thirsty. I'm thirsty. Jesus is the only one that can satisfy our thirst. We need to invite others to the river of life, and the map to the river of life is Jesus himself. So what do we do? What do we do, though, when you're a Christian and you still feel thirsty? So I think any Christian go, hey, Anthony, you say Jesus gives you, like, quenches your thirst, and he's, he, he's what helps satisfy you, and that's true, but a lot of us as Christians also go, it doesn't feel that way sometimes. As I follow Jesus, as I press into Jesus, sometimes I still feel thirsty. What do I do then, Anthony? Well, I think John actually shows us through his last use of this word come. Let's read verses 18 through 21. 18, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. He who testifies to these things says, surely I'm coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Amen. So John wraps up chapter 22, doing what a lot of Jewish apocalypses did at the time, basically saying like, these words are from God. You listen to them. Don't change them. Don't add to them. Don't subtract to them. Now, some Christians have used this to kind of say, John's saying this for the whole Bible. I, I, I personally don't think that's the case. I think he's saying that for Revelation. I think he believed that for the whole Bible, but I think in this moment, he, he's using this for the book of Revelation in general. But after he says all that, he uses that word come one last time. He has this one last use of this word. Jesus says, I'm coming soon. And John responds, amen, which means so be it. And then he says, come Lord Jesus. John knows, and we know with him, that, all, that sometimes, although we in one sense, even now, before God returns, we in one sense have access to the river of life, 
that sometimes, as we are in this final section of history, we're still thirsty. That sometimes, while God is still doing this work of saving all that he can save, that's lasted so far for 2,000 years, that sometimes, in the midst of that, because sin still exists and evil still exists, we're still thirsty. Because we don't have the fullness of the river of life yet. And John shows us what to pray when that's the case. We pray, come, Lord Jesus. Please come back, Lord Jesus. Get here already, Lord Jesus. I used to, when I was younger, I used to not want Jesus to return yet. Right? I used to be like, I, I want to experience some life things. I want to do some things. I, I don't want you to come back yet. Okay, I, I'm 36, which is, uh, I mean, it's probably middle-aged at this point for me, knowing this body. But... Uh, some sad laughs. No, I need to take better care of myself. Uh, even at 36, now, I've lived enough life to go, no, you could come back. You can come back, Jesus. I don't, even if there's other things that I want to experience, I go, no, I can read your promises. I could see what you're saying in Revelation, all of Revelation, really. And I could say, I need you to come back. I'm thirsty. I can't satisfy my thirst. Evil abounds, sin abounds. I need you to come back, Jesus. Please come back, Jesus. I need Jesus back. Enough life has happened to me that I'm not like that young version of myself anymore. I'm lost without Jesus. Some days I feel like I'm dying of thirst. and I'm like, please come back already. And in those days, I have to root my prayers of desperation and lament in Jesus. I have to say to him, come back, Lord Jesus. Finish your work, Lord Jesus. I need you now, Lord Jesus. It is okay and good for us to pray this way. In fact, to get through life as a Christian, I think John is showing us we've got to pray this way. I don't think you can get through life here in this earth before God returns without praying prayers like this. Jesus is now with us through the Spirit, so we can pray prayers like this. But Jesus is not bodily here yet, physically here yet, so we need to pray prayers like this one. Something mysterious happens when we pray. We get to connect to God, but we also like participate in his like acting and work in the world. And I would even say like we encourage him <laughs> to work in the world in different ways. That's that's biblical. And this prayer, I think when we say, come Lord Jesus, I think it often does all of those things. It helps us connect to God. It helps us participate in this God, uh, in God acting and working in this world. I think we, to get through as Christians, to live life as Christians, to persevere as Christians, I think we have to pray more prayers like this. I think that's what John is showing us. It's interesting that after all of these visions, all of these things that John sees and writes down and all this, he's still at the end. He's like, well, please, then come back. Come, Lord Jesus. Even though he should be like so secure, so like you think he'd be fine, but he's like, no, please, please come back. We need to pray prayers like this. Revelation 22, it tells us three things about Jesus or about using this word come, I should say. It tells us that Jesus is coming soon, that we in the Spirit give out 
invitations and the map to the river of life. And while we live in this not yet fully restored place, we cry out to Jesus, come back, please. Come, Lord Jesus. So here's what I hope. I hope, I hope Revelation has discipled us. At the beginning of the series, I said the, what Revelation is trying to do is disciple us. And disciple us in a specific way. Revelation is dis- trying to disciple us into discerning, dissident, worshiping witnesses. So when we read the book of Revelation, it wants us to turn into Christians that are discerning, dissident, worshiping witnesses. I hope we've let the book of Revelation do that for us. If this has just been a series where we're like, this was really great. This was a fun series where Anthony helped me see how wrong my crazy uncle was, as holy and good a work that is. If that's all the series has been, we've missed it. We've missed it. Because Revelation wants to disciple us into being a sort of Christian that is discerning, that is dissident, that is a worshiper, and that is a witness to God. Revelation wants us to live discerning where we've married our faith to Babylon and to the empire and to the dragon and to reject those ways of living. Revelation wants us with our very lives to be dissident to the ways of the, of the Babylonian empires around us and in us. It wants us to live dissident, lives in opposition to the dragon and the beast and their ways of evil and hate. Revelation wants to remind us that we were created to be worshipers of God and in fact in our worship people will see who God is. And Revelation reminds us that we are witnesses to what God is doing in this world. And because we are witnesses, that means we are making a proclamation about what God has done in this world, what he is doing in this world, and what he will do in this world. I hope, I hope Revelation has discipled us that way. I hope we've listened to the words of this prophecy as this book has invited us to. So church, may we live as discerning, dissident, worshiping witnesses. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for this book. God, I think all of us in the room could say before this series, feeling like, I think most of us, God, feel like we don't know or we didn't know what to do with this book. And God, I feel like you've been very merciful to us, very kind to us, and showing us all sorts of good things from this book. God, I pray that it does like, stay in us, like those images from the Shel Silverstein books, like that they stay in us and, and, and keep motivating us to know you more, understand you more, live like you more, God. I pray that that happens, and that has happened through this series. Father God, we're so thankful that you show us how good of a father you are through this book. Help us to have eyes to see it, God. Those of us that wrestle, God, would you just be more merciful to us? Because it's easy for us, especially in books like this, God, to almost um, not see you in certain ways because we're, we're stuck and, oh, for whatever reason, God. 
And so, God, thank you for this book. Thank you for your word. We love you and we need you. Amen.